0: We look through this great book of 1 Corinthians, looking for ways that we can understand that God is calling us to a life, an existence of unity, even when there's so much division and so much anger and so much violence. How is it that we can have unity in a world of division? Because the people there in Corinth, the church there so long ago, there in first century Corinth, they were living in a time. Of division and upheaval and they needed to be brought together and unified and so this is God's message to them which means it's God's message to us about how to be unified in a time of division we're gonna need to seek unity personally just us being at peace with the Father and then being at peace with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and then finding a way to bring unity and peace to an entire world. It all comes through Jesus. Now, we've sung some beautiful songs this morning. Appreciate Brother Bird so much in in leading us in these songs. I hope that you've already kind of seen the theme of thinking about the concept of glory. We glorify your name. We seek to give God glory, and that is a, a righteous and a noble and a good thing. We don't often spend enough time really giving mental energy and spiritual energy to the concept of glorifying God. Too often we think that it's enough. Well, I sang two songs today that mention glory to God. I'm good for a week. That's not enough. It's part of the life of the Christian that gives glory to God, but it is not the totality. It's not it. You and I don't give enough thought to what it is that, that really brings glory to God. Now, we do spend a lot of time and I'll admit this is this is my fault. We give a lot of time and attention to what will make us be right with God. And that's something we should do. The Bible spends a lot of time talking about what you and I must do to be right before the Lord. Then in the wider world, just just looking at at men and women in general around this world of ours. People spend a lot of time thinking about what's going to make me happy, what's going to bring me peace, what's going to cause me to feel satisfied. But as children of God, we shouldn't spend all of our time thinking in that way. We should spend more time thinking about what brings God glory and less time thinking about what brings us satisfaction. The passage of scripture we'll look at today, which is really 1 Corinthians 10 verse 23 all the way through chapter 11 verse 16 in this passage this is all about changing our focus we're not to be about bringing glory to self or to be about bringing glory to God and so as we look at these verses today like I said the end of 10 through the first part of 11 we're gonna see the focus being upon bringing glory to God not glory to self now we know God is glorified in worship We've already talked about that. We've already sung from the heart about that, seeking to glorify God with our our voices as we as we worship Him in song. But there's more to glorifying God than just what's found in worship. Giving glory to God can be done in prayer, literally by saying, "God, I owe everything, all my blessings, I owe to you. All the good things I have come from you. You're the only one worthy of praise and honor." We can say that in prayer. We can say that in song. And literally, we should. But glory to God can be given to him without saying such words. By the manner of life that we live, we can bring glory to God. Let me give you a few examples real quick before we just look at 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 specifically. Did you know that the Bible says, Almighty God says, you can give him glory. You bring glory to his holy name when you do things like confess and repent of sin. In Joshua chapter seven, at verse nineteen, that's exactly what happens. Remember, there's that fellow Achan. God's people had been told, "When you go through and overtake the people that I'm giving you, don't go and covet and steal their stuff. You're not to bring back any of their gold or their treasures, their clothing. Don't bring any of their stuff back." And he does. Achan does. Achan takes some things, hides them there in the floor of his house. And as, God, as he stands before Joshua, and God tells Joshua, "This is what he's to say." You tell this man Achan, give glory to God by confessing and repenting of what it is that you've done. Did you, reckon, did you even know that, that there's times when you can look back on your life, look at what you've done, whether it was a long time ago or just recently, and you say, I am bringing this before God, I'm turning it over, I'm saying, I committed this sin, I'm making it clear that I, I hate what I've been involved in, I need the strength to get through it, I need the forgiveness of Almighty God. And he says, when you do that, that gives me glory. Confession and repentance brings glory to God. There's also the fact that just simply living a faithful life to where others can see who you are and what you're doing. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, this is exactly what it says. Matthew 5, 16. When you live your life, let your light so shine before others so that others can see your good works and then do what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. Our faithfulness. Our continued trust in and obedience to Almighty God the way we, that's without even saying a word just living a life for Christ he says that can bring glory to the Father and there's one other example whenever we actually speak the truth whenever we teach the truth about who Jesus is and we speak the truth about what God's kingdom is about when we speak the truth in this kind of way it brings glory to God this is in first Peter chapter 4 1 Peter 4 verse 11 Whoever speaks, they are to speak as one who speaks to the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Listen to this. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So when we speak the truth about God and when we serve others in a way that pleases God, we bring glory to God. So just from those examples, repentance, faithfulness, speaking the truth, we see the Bible says there's lots of different ways that we bring glory and honor to God's perfect name. Well, what does it say specifically in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11? What we're going to see today is that from the attitude with which and the things that we eat, we can bring glory to God. The way that we view ourselves and others, we bring glory to God. The way that we treat others, all of these kinds of things are things that should be done to the glory of God, as Jake read just a moment ago. Whatever you do, in word or indeed, we sang from Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, whatever you do, may it be authorized by God in the name of the Lord. But in this passage, 1 Corinthians 10 31, whatever we do should be done to God's glory. So read with me, and then we'll make our first point here. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10. Let's start at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. In other words, you might read it this way. I'm free to do what I like. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Remember, going all the way back to chapter 8, verse 1. And if you need to kind of put a mark there and refresh your memory, go back to 8.1. Remember, he's answering questions here about what should we do about food that's been offered to idols because here they are living in this pagan city corinth greece a temple on every corner an altar to a different god on every street and there's and they've said we've grown up bringing these things into these temples and then only part of the meat's used and the rest is then taken out to the meat market and we buy it there we take it home what about that now what should we do what should we view these things and he says So eat whatever's sold in the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He'd already said previous to this, you know there's no idol. You know there's no God behind that. You know that this is a nothing. So why would you worry? He says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, Eat whatever's set before you without even raising a question on the ground of conscience. So if you're invited to dinner, go eat and don't worry about it. Don't say, First, let me ask you this question. Just eat, enjoy the fellowship, and show them by your faithfulness and, and your trust and your submission to the Lord what it is to belong to Jesus. But he says this in verse 28. But if someone says to you, I'll have you know, this meat that you're about to eat, this has been offered in sacrifice. In other words, offered and sacrificed to an an idol, to a pagan god. Well, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I don't mean your conscience, not for your conscience, because it doesn't bother you to eat it. He says, but for his conscience. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? In other words, I shouldn't. I can eat it. But if it's going to affect him i won't do it verse 31 so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of god give no offense to jews or to greeks or to the church of god just as i try to please everyone in everything i do not seeking my own advantage but that of the many and specifically what i'm seeking is that they might be saved and so he says so be imitators of me As I seek to imitate Christ so there's three points we want to make from this section we'll look at section 2 here in a moment chapter 11 but of the first of the three points we want to make here is that the way we bring glory to God and what Paul has just mentioned here is one of the ways that we bring glory to God is by the proper use of our freedom the proper use of our freedom now here's what I here's what I mean by that we are absolutely blessed to live where we do. I mean, they had no idea. We're blessed to live where we do. It's a special time. You know, we, we speak of, and it, for such a long time, we identify where we are with being the land of the free. We, tra- we take great pride in living in a country that's free. Now, I don't say these things because this is what makes us special. I'm just saying these things to let you know. Sometimes we don't think properly about freedom. Now, freedom is a blessing, as I've already said. And I, and I think it's a good thing that we've had times, well, you know, Memorial Day, not long ago, we remember those who made sacrifice so we could be free. Just like, like five days ago was the D-Day anniversary. Thinking about the sacrifice that so many made. Here in just a little bit, in about a month, Uh, We'll have Independence Day. It's it's one day after another. We're thinking about those that that did physical things, terrible things to allow us to live with freedom. That's a blessing that we can come into this place this morning and then we can gather here and pray here and sing here and study here. We've been given freedom and that's a blessing. There are other countries where Christians had to meet in secret today. There are countries where freedom is really a, a foreign and strange concept. But that's not really what we're even talking about here we have to make sure that as disciples of jesus christ we need to make sure that we really and truly know what it means and how special it is to be free being free is not about just giving in to any and every whim being free is not about giving in to every thought or feeling, being free is not about indulging in every passion that comes along. That is not what's being discussed, and in fact, that is not what the Lord would have us to deem proper freedom. Because as Paul just said here, we read in First Corinthians ten, did he not say, "Well, all things are lawful," meaning I've got the right to do certain things, all kinds of things. He says, "But not all things are helpful." not all things build up and so in other words the disciple of jesus their freedom is limited to those things that help those things that build up those things that allow others to be encouraged and see and know and love and follow jesus so it's it's outwardly focused not inwardly focused well i'm free so therefore i get to do anything no it's i'm free so therefore i must do what the lord calls me to do i must do those things that help others experience this true freedom also He quotes from, in this passage, 1 Corinthians 10, he quotes from Psalm 24. And maybe you'll make note of that. I'll read it for you, but I want you to make note of Psalm 24, beginning at verse 1. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's the passage he quotes. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. God made everything. And he says, so who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place who is it that gets to stand before the lord with confidence who is it that gets to stand before the lord to be brought in and hearing well done good and faithful servant well it's he who has clean hands and a pure heart who doesn't lift up his soul to what's false nor swear deceitfully he'll receive a blessing from the lord and righteousness from the god of his salvation such is the generation listen to this here's who stands before the lord those who seek him those who seek the face of of the God of Jacob so here's what I understand Paul to be doing here in 1 Corinthians 10 he says you've been given freedom and it's a blessing but you use that freedom to stand before God and bring others to stand before God you use that freedom to submit to his will rather than giving in to every whim and indulgence you may want to have your freedom is used to bring others to the Lord you and I have been blessed with the freedom, listen to this, this is going to sound strange, maybe counterintuitive, but this is what he says. we've been given the freedom to be obedient. We've been given the freedom to build other people up. One of the most helpful ways that I've ever uh, heard, I didn't come up with this, but it was shared with me and I, I think it's great, one of the most helpful ways I've thought about freedom is this, it's not freedom from, it's freedom for. If you say, I'm in celebrating the fact that I have freedom from all restraint, I have freedom from all rules, I have freedom from all consequences. That's not the freedom the Lord says that he wants you to live. It's the freedom for, the freedom for good, the freedom for truth, the freedom for justice, the freedom for building others up and encouraging them the freedom to be able to share the gospel and help others to be saved. Remember, that's what he says. That's how he ends it. Look at chapter 10, verse 33. He says, do all things for the glory of God. And I want you to recognize that what I've done is I've limited myself in some places. He says, I could have stood on this right. I could have stood on this principle. He could have said, I'm free to do whatever. He said, but no, I gave up a number of those things for this purpose, to save some. He said, I've been granted freedom and For helping set others free, freedom from the slavery of sin, freedom from the the bondage of being afraid of death, and freedom from all those things that Satan wants to hang over our heads like a dark cloud. But the Lord says, when you've been washed in the blood of my Son Jesus, you've been set free from all those things. Not afraid of death, not afraid of eternity, not afraid of men. But you are now free to help others live the same. And so, the first thing that we can do to glorify God is utilize freedom properly it's not just freedom for all kinds of license and sin it's freedom for bringing others into the gospel truth the next thing is this he says that glory is brought to god by the proper adherence to creation order look at chapter 11. chapter 11 begins this way in verse 2 chapter 11 2. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God the father every man who prays or prophesies with his head covers dishonors his head but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it's the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For man ought not to cover his head, since he's in the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither is man created for woman, but woman for man. All right, let's stop right there for a moment. This is one of those passages, this is one of those passages, confusing, controversial, much debated, often ignored. And so I'm going to go ahead and say that it's most likely the case that what I will say in these brief comments won't be enough to satisfy many. And I'm aware of that, but this can be a beginning place that we can think through it and study together more. Because what's happening here is that even those that have studied this over the years and maybe even many, many come to the same conclusion, they come to the same outcome and position, the specifics of getting there are often, or I should say rarely, understood alike. So just briefly, just, just in a summary kind of fashion, the first question is this, well should, based on what you just read there, should all women be wearing veils today as they walk into the, the worship service? Should every single woman have some type of a veil because the language here indicates coming down off the head so in other words should there be some type of a complete veil on every woman's head you know just a little napkin or some kind of a thing sitting up here doesn't fit what this is talking about it's a coming down over the head so should every woman here have one of those on well i dare say if you look in this room not many are going to fit that bill so are, are we all doing something wrong should we all change what we're doing Because if that's the case, if it's true that that's what we should do, then every last one should acquiesce and submit and and do what the Lord is calling us to. Amen? Amen. Where the Lord speaks, we speak. We seek to do what he calls us to do. But so I'm going to tell you, I think that as I look at this, if I've thought through this, I've studied this along with countless others, the short answer is no. Women are not required to wear that Type of veil today as we gather here on the first day of the week for worship. Now let me tell you why. Apparently, this was a very serious issue in the Greek city of Corinth in this time frame. For example, it continues to be an issue right up to this minute in certain places in, in the Middle East. You can just look at your headlines. Just look at the the last thing you've seen on the news. You probably read within the last couple of weeks uh, a few incidents that have happened in Iran. Back in September, a 22-year-old woman was killed, murdered, uh, because she refused to wear her, uh, how do you pronounce it, hijab in public. And then just in April, there were two women at a store there in Iran that uh, the male authorities there didn't like the way they were refusing to wear their hijabs. they threw yogurt on them and then threw them in jail. And so to this minute, not wearing head coverings out in public even, in some cultures, is an issue that's debated about The rightness and the wrongness and severity of it in fact in in those places even girls as young as nine years old if their heads are not covered they and their parents can go to jail it's not an issue here is it you don't you don't go to the store you don't go to the restaurant to walmart wherever you might go with a cell phone out ready to turn in those who aren't wearing head coverings it's not an issue here it's not an issue of thinking well if if laura doesn't wear a head covering over her head, then she's telling the world maybe a few really terrible things. Telling the world that she doesn't see me as someone who's important to listen to. Telling the world that she's available for others to uh, entertain. When she doesn't wear a headscarf or a head covering, no one thinks that that's the message she's communicating. In some places that is the message that's being communicated, or at least in the view of some. But it's not an issue here because we recognize, we absolutely recognize that there are some things in the ebb and flow of time, some things, some symbols come in and out of fashion of being powerfully symbolic. Let me just use this one symbol. We could probably list like a thousand, but let me just talk about this one that probably affects some of you in this room right now. I don't need to see a raise of hands, but probably numerous of you in this room are wearing a cross somewhere. Maybe you got a cross on a necklace, you got a cross that's on uh, earrings, or maybe you got a cross that's on a bracelet, or maybe you got a cross that you got a Bible cover and it's got a cross on it. Maybe you got a cross somewhere on your person right now. And when you wear that cross and you demonstrate that, you are signifying to other people, there's someone that I belong to. Now, you know what? That is a very modern and Western way of thinking about the cross. In the first century, in a place like Ephesus or Corinth or Jerusalem or any of those places they a Christian would have never worn a cross never that was the instrument of of ugliness and death and pain and sorrow it was terrible no no Christian or self-respecting even a self-respecting Roman would have worn a cross out like jewelry that's changed right now we see that much differently than, than they would have seen the same image we see it differently and so, just like the head covering, we see that as become to signify something very, very different. And so what we're called to is for there to be adherence to the creation order in life and in worship. In life and in worship. We're going to talk about these two things real quickly. In life, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we know that God created man, God formed man from the dust of the earth. So Adam is created first, Genesis 2, 7. And then we know moving forward, Genesis two eighteen. then Eve is formed from the side of Adam. Eve is created for Adam as his counterpart. And now what we know, based upon that creation order, is that now the Lord expects that to carry over into so many other things. Changes in dress, that, those things kind of change. You know, we read in, in the passages there in the New Testament that Paul will tell the Christians, okay, now what you're going to do is gird up your loins, gather up your robe, and stuff it in your belt. How many of you does that apply to? If I said, gird up your loins and stuff your robe into your belt, you'd go, what? But what he means is, what the Lord means is this. Get prepared, get dressed, ready for action. When it comes to the Christian life, you be dressed, ready to fight, ready to roll, ready to run. And so the the garb, the dress changed. The principle did not. It's exactly the same now as it was then and so there's some things that we see that there's these cultural differences but there are eternal principles that will never ever ever change until the Lord comes back and so willing submission to God's plan when it comes to life in the home willing submission to God's plan when it comes to the way that we seek to be out in the world willing submission to God's plan is not a sign of weakness it's not a sign of worthlessness it's a sign of strength. It's a sign of willing submission to the God who created us. Jesus submitted to the plan of the Father. Remember Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42? As he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. I submit to what you're calling me to do. And so what we read here in 1 Corinthians 11. Even Christ acknowledges the Father as head here in this way. Go with me to Ephesians 5. I want you to read this. We're going to read this whole passage here in Ephesians 5 to make the the connection we'll try and do it quickly ephesians 5. starting at verse 20 ephesians 5 20. giving thanks always for everything to god the father in the name of our lord jesus christ submitting to one another out of reverence for christ see the submission to each other is not out of any weakness on our part but it's out of submission to and honoring and glorifying the lord so wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord for the husband is the head of the wife and he was is head of the church his body for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you have, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Willing adherence to the creation order is not weakness. It's not oppression. Willing submission to the creation order actually, as the Lord says, actually brings him glory. He said, I made you, I formed you, I gave you to one another, and I did this out of my wisdom and my love. And when you respect this, you give me glory. Adherence to the creation order glorifies God in life, but also in worship, because God is the one. Going all the way back to like a passage in Deuteronomy 12. God is always, always, always the one who decides when, where, and how he wants to be worshiped. He's always said, I'll tell you when, I'll tell you where, I'll tell you how, I'll be worshiped. And so when we see this, you consider passages like, look at 1 Corinthians 12 real quick. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 10. God gave to some working of miracles, to others prophecy, to others the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues, In other words god decided that's exactly what it says here in verse 18 so 12 18 as it is god arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose verse 28 god has appointed in the church first apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles then gifts of healing helping administrating and various kinds of tongues and he'll go on to say look not everybody's an apostle not everybody's a prophet not everybody's a teacher he said, I have a plan and I've given this plan and I choose how I'll be worshipped. I choose where, I choose why. I choose, God says. Your job as my creation is to glorify me in the way I've called you to. And so God's plan for men and women, going all the way back to the creation order, whether it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, or 1 Corinthians 14, verses 35, or 34 and 35, or wherever else it might be, but just right here in 1 Corinthians 11, He says, I decide. And so something that will not ever, ever change until the Lord returns is the Lord has a plan for who will be